to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Second Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writing, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your own consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you an opportunity to glory on our behalf, that you may have something to answer those who glory in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for, your God, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and, and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Praise the Lord. Amen. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or reckoning their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, Be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father, this chapter is loaded with awesome promises, awesome insight, comfort, challenge. Reminders, declarations. Lord, we thank you for this chapter. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this day. 
in the words that you've shared through Paul to the Corinthian church and now has passed on through the centuries down even to us here in Calvary Chapel. We thank you, Lord, for this day and pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to the words that you desire to change our lives with. I pray, God, that you take me out of the way that you would be seen. God, may they see Jesus today. May they hear Jesus today. Because that's why we're here. It's to speak about what you are wanting to do in our lives, what you're wanting to teach us, how you're wanting to grow us up. And so, Lord, I pray that we we allow our our minds to listen for the Holy Spirit to speak to our minds and hearts. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we talked about how um, Paul is talking about, we know that our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God a house not made with hands, and it's eternal in the heavens. And, and as we talked about that last week, we talked about how we oftentimes we, we focus so much on this uh, house that we have, this tent that we have, this body that we have. Uh, as we looked at, you know, Paul is, is even referencing, you know, that, that, you know, this tent, it's not what it's all cracked up to be. Uh, I think all of us, well, most of us will know that, especially the, the more uh, aged that you get, the more you realize, you know what? It's not all about this life, especially if you're a Christian. You know, now when you're young, it's you got life in front of you and you've got so many things that you haven't experienced and you kind of, well... Yeah, well, it, it a lot of it is about me, you know. Uh, what what makes me tick, you know? What makes me happy? What keeps my attention, you know? And and all of that. But you know what Paul is trying to do with the Corinthian church, he's trying to do with you and I is to remind us that, you know what? This is basic, basically an earth suit. And and as much as, you know, you you know, there's nothing wrong with taking a tent out into the into the forest and dressing it all up, you know, painting on some neat little things. Uh, is that me? Motorcycle. Oh, motorcycle. Um, <laughs> thinking, wow, Lord, that was a powerful word. <laughs> the, uh, you know that that. You can take that tent out into the wilderness and, and you can paint it all up. You can you can put stickers in it. You can hang posters from it. Whatever you want to do. I mean, it's all neat. I mean, it, it's okay. You can do it. But know this. It's just a tent, you know. It, it's not your permanent abode. Um, there are a lot of us here that we look at, you know, going camping as not a fun thing. How many of you guys don't like camping? Any of you? That that surprises me. I would think that you would love camping, Steve. You don't like camping? You don't like camping? Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't like camping. Now, now you know, there's another word for, they've, they've come up with another word for those who don't like to go camping, but they like to be with their family. They call it glamping. Have you ever heard of glamping? 
it's glamour camping. And so they go out and like this, you know, $150,000 RV, you know. And so you got all the creature comforts of home, you know. You got this beautiful, you know, you know, thing. I mean, there's no camping. You step outside and you don't have your same front yard. I mean, you've got, but glamping is, you know, you're, you've got more amenities in your camper or in your, in your RV than you do even at your own home. And so glamping. Uh, maybe some of you guys would like to go glamping, but camping, uh, how many of you guys have probably, has everybody gone camping? Everybody who, has anybody not ever gone camping? Um, Bert and Nancy, you guys are going to go camping this summer, okay? All right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I promise you'll figure it out. <laughs> You wake up to the birds and you 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 sleep at night thinking, is that a bear? And I, I mean, it, it, it's just it's that you got to have that feeling. What's her? Well, if you've gone camping, if you've gone camping, what's one thing that you really look forward to? Once you're well into your camping experience, a shower, your bed, a bathroom. You can't wait to get home, right? To your four walls, man. You want to get back to your, your little abode, you know? And, and, and Paul is, is, is taking this mindset saying, listen, guys, we're just camping here on earth. This isn't it. This isn't what it's all about. There's a day where we're going to have an awesome shower in heaven, man. I mean, it's going to be in a beautiful home. Jesus said, hey, hey, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you because in my Father's house are many mansions, you know, many dwelling places, not tents. No, these are structures, you know. He, he's saying, hey, this is the, the place to be, man. This is what you are longing for. I promise that, that if you've gone camping and you've gone to a, a really beautiful, you know, uh, you know, federal park or something like that, where you have this beauty, you know, and I say you, I know that it's way across the, the country, but if you were to go camping in Yosemite National Forest and be right there at the base of El Capitan and uh, Half Moon Bay and Bridal Vales Falls, you wake up in the morning, you go out and the sun coming up and you just go, wow, how beautiful. And if, if God can do that in six days, what do you think that he's prepared for us in 2,000 years. I, I can't even imagine. We can't. It would blow our minds. But here's the thing. Paul's saying, don't get so fixed on the camping experience because that's, that's all we are in right now, Gay. We are, as Christians, we're living our camping experience. There's coming a day when, you know, and, and here's the thing. We, a lot of us are wanting to go glamping in our, in our Christian experience, right? We want it to be easy, we don't want any problems. We don't want to have any, you know, uh, uh, you know, difficulties and 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 problems along the way. You know, we want we want to have all the creature comforts that maybe everybody else has. And here's the thing: it's not about the here and the now. Paul say, "Hey, this tent it's going to be destroyed one day. The tent is only there for a season, and, and then." 
we don't have to worry because if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, this tabernacle, we have a building from God. A house, it's not even made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. Hey, turn right with me, if you will, to Hebrews. Hebrews, go to Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to see this. This is pretty cool. When we think of men of faith in the Bible, if we were to say, uh, who, well, I won't say who had the greatest faith, but I will say, who is known as the father of faith? Abraham, right? Yeah. Any of you students of Scripture, you know that it's Abraham. Abraham was the father of faith because he believed God when God said, hey, I know you're an old man, but you're going to have a baby. You know, you're 100 years old. Your wife's 90. You're going to have a baby. He hadn't had any babies yet. Well, he had had, you know, well, eventually he would have it through, you know, one baby through, uh, oh my goodness, uh, Hagar, you know. I think of Dick Brown, and who was a who was a local. He's passed on now, but he was a local comic. Um, uh, those of you who like to read the funny papers, any of you guys remember Hagar the Horrible? Hagar the Horrible, you know, a little, you know. Well, I always think of him when I think of uh, Abraham's, you know, the woman that Abraham had Ishmael with, the handmaiden of, of Sarah. But here's the thing: God said Abraham look up into the sky and, and count all the stars if you can, which is impossible. You can't do it. You can't count them with your naked eye. He says, that's, that's how many descendants are going to come out of you. Innumerable. You won't be able to even count them, Abraham. There's going to be a lot. going to be millions that come out of you. Lord, how, how so? Being that I'm childless. You're childless. How, how is that going to happen? You know, you know that, God, right? You know that... That in order to carry on a lineage, you actually have to have a child. I'm 100. My wife's 90. We're well past the bearing, childbearing years. And God says, no, I'm going to give you a child. I'm actually, come from you, I am going to bless all nations. I'm going to have, you're going to have a child and I'm going to bless that child. And through that child, I'm going to bless the nations. And it says, and Abraham believed God. And God counted it unto him for righteousness. And, and therein lies the, the genesis of faith, if you will. That was that, uh, can you imagine being 100 years old and God saying, I know you haven't had a child up to this point, but you know what? You're going to have one through your 90-year-old wife. And, and she didn't even have it until she was, what, 99, I think. is what Was she 99 when she had her child, when she had Isaac? But here's the thing. God says, I know that she's well past the child-rearing years and so on and so forth, but you know, is there anything too hard for me? And, and he didn't even have to explain himself that way, but he says, Abraham, you're going to have babies. You're going to have a baby, and your genealogy is going to be carried on. And Abraham believed God. There is the father of faith. That's why we look at Abraham and we say he's the father of faith, because it's the first time that God spoke to a man and somebody just said, I believe it. I believe you. I believe God. Has God ever told you or shared with you something that seems impossible? Well, you see, nothing is impossible to the Lord. And Abraham believed that. And it's not like he just gave God lip service. I believe Abraham really, genuinely, down deep into his gut, he believed exactly what God said. 
because he believed that God was powerful enough to do it. But, but look, it says in verse 8 of chapter of, of 11 of Hebrews, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would afterward receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he sojourned in a land of promise, as even as in a foreign country, country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Isn't that interesting? Abraham lived his life in a tent. Who was one of the most wealthy men alive at the time? It was none other than Abraham. Abraham was a wealthy man. How many wealthy people do you know that live in a tent today? I was uh, reading a, a thing this last week. I was in at Home Depot and and uh, I was sharing this with my wife last night and, and uh, I was at Home Depot and a song came on that was an old Eagles song. You know, and, and those of you guys who like the Eagles, you'll remember maybe this song. My wife didn't remember this song. But there was a song that the Eagles wrote. Now, Don Henley wrote it. He was the, the, the drummer there. And it was called The Last Resort. And basically, it's Don Henley. It was like Don Henley's first solo writing a song, you know, in the Eagles uh, with the band The Eagles. And it was a story song, basically talking about how, you know, uh, you know, the white man, you know, landed in, you know, back in, you know, back east and and then somebody came from Providence, Rhode Island and drove all the way across the Great Divide and came all the way out to California and they, you know, basically went out there and they raped the land. They, you know, cut all the trees down. They built houses up on top of the hills. They ugly boxes is what he called them. You know, some rich man came out and nobody ever caught him. You know, he's he's really knocking down on the rich man for going out and tearing down the trees and, you know, blowing away basically all of the beauty that Southern California was. They had heard that the red man, the Indian out there, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of thought into the poetry that he wrote. But he was an environmentalist, Don Henley, and he was very outspoken. And 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 me, just being an inquisitive mind, I thought, I wonder where he lives. And so I Googled it. Back in 1996, Don Henley, this $200 million man, that's his value, he built a 15,000 square foot house on the top of a mountain. Uh, it had 10 bathrooms, three bars, and, and you're sitting here, and I can't remember, it had other things in it too. It had a lot of things. But I'm sitting here going, you wrote a song about the rich man going in and raping the land and completely destroying the mountaintops. And yet, this is exactly what you just did. You just did this. I, I, just, I, I lost respect for the song. I, I, the song is kind of a cool sounding song. But uh, uh, now that I know the story behind this song, sorry, I'll probably get sued by Don Henley and he'll be able to put a jacuzzi in now. Um, <laughs> but it says that Abraham, by faith, he sojourned in the land of promises in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac. And so here, Abraham had all the money in the world to build himself. He could, he could have done exactly what Don Henley did, but he didn't. He was satisfied living in a tent for his entire life. Do you know that Abraham never built a, a building to live in? He never built a house. It, look at what it says. 
By faith, he sojourned in the land of promises in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Why did he do that? Why did he live in a tent? Why didn't he build a house? Because it says in verse 10, For Abraham waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You see, Abraham looked on to the reality of the truth that this tent, this life here, is not what it's all about. And, and therein, he's the father of faith. We look at that. And we, we see that and we go, man, it, it, Paul is saying to us back, moving back into 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, Paul is saying, hey, don't get so caught up here on the here and the now. Because it's not about the here and the now. That's what this whole chapter is filled with, is to say, let's not get so caught up on the, the here and the now. Let's not get caught up on the mascara. Let's not be caught up on, you know, the hair or the complexion or the clothes that we wear. Now, you can do all those things. Those are okay. But that's not the essence of why we live this, this, in this life. Paul even goes so far as to say in verse 2, we, we groan earnestly. I desire to be clothed with our habitation, habitation which is in heaven. That's what Abraham did. I dwelt in a tent because what can I possibly live in down here that can even be possibly, that could possibly be compared to what God has done for me in heaven? I can't even imagine. You know? And so Abraham lived that way. You and I, Paul saying, hey, let's, let's capture some of that, that mindset that says it's not about the here and the now. Paul says, we groan because it's not about here. I groan for heaven. I groan for heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. He's, he's saying, hey, I'm not asking you to go out and, you know, go to, you know, and, and go to a nudist colony, you know. You remember me telling you about Chuck Swindoll giving a message one time and he said, you know, my, my niece or my, my son and, and I'm not niece, but my son and his, his wife were going across country. They took a vacation, went across country and they, they just took their time and they happened to go down. They saw that there was, as they were going through a town, they were going through the backwoods, they saw that there was a sign that said, you know, such and such naturist, you know, uh, habitation, whatever out there. And they're going, oh, let's go out there and look at some of the nature that's out there, you know, that they have there. Well, once they got on the road and they're driving down this, this road that went there, uh, they realized that naturist didn't mean, you know, to go and look at the, the, the scenery, it was, well, maybe, you know, for some, because as they're going down the street with their kids in the back of the car, they're going down the street, and all of a sudden, a whole bunch of bikers came down wearing nothing but a helmet. <laughs> and they're riding by just buck naked, you know. They're riding by waving. And, and you know, he, he said, my wife and I, we just, we just it, he was retelling the story. He says, my wife and I, we were just horrified. What is going to happen? We got down and we're thinking we can't keep going any farther. We've got to make a U-turn and get out of here, which means that we've got to pass them again. So he does. They do and they get out of there and they pass them again. And they're going, oh no, what did the kids, what, what is going to happen with the kids? We've defiled our kids. What, what, what kind of parents are we? When one of the kids spoke up and said, mom, dad. And they're going, oh, here it is. Did you just see that? And going, oh. Those people weren't wearing any helmets. 
<laughs> they were wearing helmets, you know. And that's all the kids really even saw, you know. But, but here's the thing. Paul says, listen, when we live in this life, it doesn't mean that we go around naked. Spiritually, we're clothed, man. We're clothed. We have this habitation in heaven. He goes, it's not that we're asking to be diminished here on the earth. No, no, God has a plan for us. Know this, Jesus himself said, didn't he? He said that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Who's the thief? Someone. Satan. Satan. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus gave... The, the opposite of that, when he spoke of himself, he says, but I have come that you might have what? Life. And that more abundantly. Not just that you, in heaven, but in the here and the now. Doesn't mean that, you know, wealth and, you know, health and wealth or anything like that. It's that we can live contentedly with absolute utter contentment. In this life, no matter what clothes we have on, no matter what house we live in, or whether we live in a tent, Paul says it doesn't matter. We have something that we're living for. We who are in this tent, he says in verse 4, being, we, we groan, being burdened. Those of you who are getting older, my goodness, you know, I got in a very small little fender bender, and my body broke. That never would have happened when I was younger. I, as I'm getting older, my body is burdened. It's crying out for a new body. I wish that I could have a new body. I'm longing for heaven. Sometimes a little bit more than not, you know, when I'm really in a lot of pain, you're just going, man, oh, Lord, just come today. You know, that would be a good thing. And some of you guys understand that. We were in this tent, we groan, not, we're, we're being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but because we know what heaven has for us. We want to be further clothed. That mortality, this, this flesh and, bo- and bones and blood may be swallowed up by the life that's in heaven. Now he who has prepared this for us, this, this very thing is God. And just so you understand, he isn't going to leave you orphanless. He's actually given us the Spirit as a guarantee, as a down payment for heaven. That word guarantee is, a, is, another, is a word that can also be translated as a down payment or as earnest, you know, an earnest deposit for something that you're going to get. The Holy Spirit has been given to us in that manner. Paul talks about that and he reiterates that in Ephesians chapter 1, doesn't he? He says, listen to what Paul says. He says, uh, in Christ you also trusted after you, verse 13 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed in Christ, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. So Paul's saying, hey, here's the thing. When you got saved, there was a stamp, God's stamp of approval. The stamp, His seal came upon you. No one can break that seal except the one who put the seal there. That's God. And God will never forsake you. Jesus says, he who the Father delivers in my hand, I will in no wise cast out, nor shall anybody be able to snatch them away from my hand. That, to me, is an awesome statement. You're sure? I'm sure. Why? Because God has placed his seal 
upon us. The seal is a guarantee that Holy Spirit is upon us. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. And, and, and we walk by faith and, and not by sight. We, we walk. What does it mean to walk by faith? It means to walk in the hope of something that you're sure of. As, Paul, or as, as uh, we read back in Hebrews chapter 11 of Abraham, he lived in this life because he lived for something that he knew was in the future. I'm living for heaven. I'm not going to set my roots and anchors down here on the earth because this earth is, is passing away. But heaven will never pass away. And, and so my, my mentality, my life, my purpose in life is to live this life on this earth with something ahead of me, with a goal in front of me. It's what Jesus did. The very next chapter in, in Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verses 1 and 2, you know that v- chapter verse 2 in chapter 12, it says, Who for the joy that was set before him, Jesus Christ, that was his goal. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And right now he sits down at the right hand of the Father. Here's the thing. Jesus laid aside everything for the goal. The goal was you and the goal was me. I am firmly convinced not only was the goal the world, that he's going to die for the world, but that he was, going to, he was dying for me personally. When you see verses like that, you must, I must, we must, gang, we have got to personalize the, uh, the, the work of God, the work of Christ on the cross. I, I, am, I am of the belief, and I will say I'm of the dogmatic belief, that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was thinking of me, personally. He was thinking of you personally. Oh, that's impossible. How could he do that? He's God. He's God. Is anything too hard for God? He did this. He was thinking of you. You want to personalize the crucifixion this coming week. Know this, when he was crying out on the cross, he was crying out for you. What held him there to that cross? It was his love for you personally. Not just, you know, corporately the world. He was thinking about you personally. He was thinking about me. That personalizes my relationship with Christ. When I think about him thinking about me. And I hope that it does the same thing with you. And so Paul says, listen, I'm confident that whether I'm here in the, the present or whether I'm, I'm, I'm going to be absent from the Lord. I just know that. I'm not going to realize everything. He talks about it in, you know, back in 1 Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, actually a second letter, we don't want to go into that, but it was, you know, all the way back in chapter uh, 12, where we see in a mirror, today we see in a mirror, dimly. Back then they didn't have the kind of mirrors that we have. They had looking glasses. It was kind of hard. The looking glasses had, had kind of like a, a, a black background or a metal black background. And they polished it up as best as they could, but it really wasn't to the quality of what we have today, a true mirror. And so 
you know, back then, you really, I mean, listen, if you were, you know, trying to pop a zit or something like that, you really couldn't really see real well. Okay? It was like, okay, get somebody else to do it because they can see clearly. So Paul goes, he says, when we look in a mirror, we can't, we can see, we can see something vaguely, we can see something dimly, but one day, man, face to face, face to face, say you got a, a you know, a, a splinter in your eye, you, you wouldn't want to use one of those looking glasses to try to get it out. Because you wouldn't be able to see. You'd want a friend who could see clearly to get that splinter out of your eye. You would trust them because they could see very clearly what you could not see. And Paul says, right now, that's how we live our lives. We can see heaven, but it's very vague. It's very, it's, it's, it's foggy at best. We can't truly understand and, 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 and totally appreciate all of what heaven will be because we, we can't even grasp it in our minds. But one day, face to face, it's going to blow our minds. It caused Paul to say in Romans chapter 8, I don't consider these sufferings of this current time to be worthy to, compare, to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us in that day. I can't wait for that day, Paul says. But right now, I look forward to something that I cannot see. I look forward i long for something that i cannot tangibly hold at this time but i know for sure it's going to happen and therein lies the the, the, the you know that that the emphasis in paul's life and the drive in paul's life for why he did what he did and how why he lived the way that he lived and what he was trying to encourage the believers in corinth and what he's trying to encourage us today here in calvary chapel to do it's to live your life for Christ. Don't live your life for today. Live your life for, for heaven and know who you belong to. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I, I, I'm confident, he says, that while we're at home in this body, we're not going to see Jesus face to face. We're just not going to do it. And so what we do, how we live our life, we walk by faith, we don't walk by sight. If you are one of those people that say, well, I could just really be a strong Christian if God would just reveal himself right here to me and show himself. If Jesus would just to show up and just go, I'm Jesus there. Just like he did with Thomas. Thomas, put your fingers in my hands and put your hand in my side. Isn't that what you said, Thomas? I'm not going to believe unless I see him and I put my finger in his, the holes in his hands and my hand in the side where the lance went in and killed him or proved that he was dead. Didn't kill him, but proved that he was dead. Thomas says, I will not believe unless I do that. Wasn't sure, it wasn't very long after that that Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room. Thomas being with them now, he wasn't with them the first time. And he says, Thomas, come here. Put your finger in my hand and put your hand in my side. And you know, it, it, the wording, the context doesn't even show that Paul, that, that uh, I keep saying Paul, uh, that Thomas actually even made it to Jesus to actually do that. You know what it says? It says that he, he said to the Lord, you are the Lord of me and you are the God of me. 
Thomas, I think, maybe took a step, maybe. Or maybe he didn't even take a step. Maybe he just dropped immediately to his knees and realized, you know what? My brothers weren't telling me a trick. They weren't telling me a story. Jesus did really appear to me, to them. I didn't believe it. Not unless I could see him with my face. Not with my own eyes. Not a, unless I could touch him. But he's here. He's right there. That's him. And he said, my Lord and my God, which in, in reality means the Lord of me and the God of me. And you remember what Jesus said? For the sake of this study, here's what Jesus said. Thomas, because you see, you believe, more blessed are they who believe without seeing. Do you know who he was talking about that time? Huh? Afar off? Us. Us, that's right. Us. He was talking about us who were afar off. We, 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 <laughs> I haven't seen him. And here's what Jesus says to me through what he said to Thomas. He says, Don, because you live your life for me and you live for me and you live in faith, you know you're more blessed than Thomas because you live without even seeing me. You live for me without even seeing me. Do you know that he says the same thing about you? He says the same thing about us. If you think, I've got to see him or I won't believe. That's not faith. That's sight. You're not living by faith. Pastor Chuck, my pastor out in California, used to say, faith is the currency of heaven. And God wants us to be rich people. He wants us to live by faith. God wants us to live by faith, not by sight. To live by sight is no big deal. To live by faith is a whole different story, isn't it? He says, we walk by faith and not by sight. We're confident yet. Yeah, oh, yes, very well pleased. Rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You remember it was Paul that said, listen, I, I'm hard pressed between the two. Man, I want to go home and be with the Lord. I want to be with Jesus. But, I know that it's more advantageous if I hang out here with you for a season. I know that it's to your benefit that I'm still here. But I long to be with my Lord. And, and, and those who say that, well, you know, there's such a thing as, as, as soul sleep. There are those that will use like the First Thessalonians chapter 4 passage. It says, you know, the dead in Christ will rise first, you know. They'll use the, the passage where Jesus talking about Lazarus, you know, and Mary and Martha and Bethany, you know, that Jesus is going back to wake Lazarus up. Lord, don't you know that the last time you were over there, don't you know that the Jews wanted to kill you, the religious leaders wanted to kill you? And Jesus says, yeah, uh, but I need to go back. And Lazarus sleeps, and because he's sleeping, I've got to go wake him up. We're going to go and wake him up. Hey, Lord, Lord, if he's asleep, let somebody else wake him up. And, and Jesus goes, okay, let's, you're going to have to just understand, guys. I'm not talking about Lazarus being asleep asleep. I'm saying Lazarus is dead. I, I'm just going to spell it out to you as plain as possible. He's dead. Nobody can wake him up but me, but the Lord. 
And so here's what he does. They go back. And so there are those that will take those passages and say, well, the dead in Christ will rise first. Those then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the Lord to be with the air in the Lord, to be with the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord forever and ever. Therefore comfort one another with these words. And so here's what, what they'll say is they'll say, well, they're sleeping in the de- in, in the earth. And one day they're going to come up. Because Jesus talked about Lazarus sleeping. He was just sleeping. There was nowhere. He wasn't anywhere. But it's the same man, Paul, that we're using today that here in just a couple of of chapters we're going to find as we get to chapter 12 that Paul is going to say, I know a man who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I I don't know. He's boasting on himself. He's saying, hey, I don't want to boast on me, but I'll tell you one thing. I died. I got stoned to death. And when I was dead, I saw something in heaven. I saw paradise. I saw something in heaven that is not even lawful for a man to say. And so Paul says, hey, when I died, I was there. I was in the presence of the Lord. I saw heaven. And and, and so here's the thing. Those who say that you have to sleep, Paul doesn't teach that. Paul's not teaching that. He says, listen, if, if we're absent from this body, we will be present with the Lord. To be absent from this body is to be in the immediate presence of the Lord. There's no such thing as soul sleep. Think about that. Paul's saying, I'm hard twixt, you know, I'm betwixt. I'm hard, you know, pressed between the two. I'm betwixt. I don't know. I want to depart and be with the Lord. I want to die and go to sleep until the Lord comes back. I just want to lay in a tomb until the Lord comes back. But I know it's better for you if I stay around here. No, that see, Paul would go, listen, if I'm going to just go and lay in a tomb and sleep in a tomb, what good is that for me? What good is that for you? Paul's not teaching soul sleep. Paul is saying, hey, to be absent from this body, I will be in the immediate presence of the Lord. So it's not saying a soul sleep. Here's the, the, the idea behind a Christian dying. It's like going to sleep, man. You close your eyes here on the, for the last time here on earth and you open your eyes to the wonder of heaven, the awesomeness of what is heaven. And so, so Paul says, listen, Uh, So, therefore, we make it our aim, and I'm going to finish here. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether we're present or we're absent, verse 9, chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. And so we're going to end here, but, but we're not going to read any more verses. We'll pick up, you know, not next week. Well, I might even, I, I'm not yet set on my Easter service. I might use this for my Easter service because it's a message that is is a perfect message for an Easter. Because here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, we're one day going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone. 
There's, you know, there's two judgment seats of Christ, right? There is a Bema seat judgment, and there's a great white throne judgment. There's two different judgment seats that we see in Scripture. The Bema seat judgment is a judgment that all believers will stand before the Lord. The Bema seat judgment... That judgment is to judge the, the things that you've done here on the earth, the, the, the rewards that you'll get in heaven and so on and so forth. Your position that the Lord is going to bless you or, and, and, and minister to you. And it's going to you know, take away the chaff. It's going to, you know, the things that, are, are, that you did here on the earth that, that can burn up and what have you, wood, hay, and stubble, that'll all be done away with. But that which remains is what you'll be rewarded on in heaven has nothing to do with your salvation. It has everything to do with how God uses you in heaven and what, what the Lord does with you in heaven. Here's the thing. The great white throne judgment, on the other hand, that we read in Revelation chapter 19, here's the thing. Or 20. You, I think it's 19. You who stand, not, I won't say you. I, I hope and pray that I'm not talking to anybody in this room, but here's the thing. Those who stand before the great white throne judgment, none will enter into heaven. Every individual that steps before the great white throne judgment will be judged. And they'll be cast into the fire, the eternal fire, where the devil and his angels are. There's two judgments. It's up to you and I on which judgment seat we're going to stand before. But, but Paul says, listen, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Jesus. Why? Because we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I believe he's talking about the judgment seat, the Bema seat judgment at this time. Because here, a, a, an unbeliever is not going to stand before a great white throne judgment. That is, the great white throne is dealing with salvation. The Bema seat is dealing with rewards. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we're well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. And so he says, listen, we understand that God is a judging God. And, and here's the thing. We look at the judgment of the Lord. And many of us have struggled with this. And hopefully I can, in the very last bit that I'm talking here right now, maybe I can hope to put a lot of this to rest. Here's the thing. Some of us sit here and think, well, wait a minute. The, you've heard the, 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 the naysayers talk about, and maybe you're one of them, that look, about the, look at God in the Old Testament and say, well, he was the judging God. You have two different gods. The Old Testament is a judging, ruthless, punitive God in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, he's a God of grace and love and mercy and compassion. So how can you reconcile the two? Well, I will say this. He reconciles the old and the new through the one in whom the old and the new were written about. It's about Jesus Christ. I want you to understand, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what the Word of God promises us. He's not changed. God judges wickedness. God judges sin. God will cast away sin and those who live in sin into the, the outer darkness. He's going to cast them into hell with, with the, the, the enemy, Satan. God is a judging God still to this day. 
The reason why the New Testament shows God as a compassionate God is because what Jesus Christ did on the cross, all of the penalty and the judgment that was going to come down upon you, he placed upon his son. God so loved you and I, the world, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him would not perish, be judged, but that they would have everlasting life. That's grace. That's the New Testament God. But it doesn't mean that the Old Testament God is not shown in that because there is a perishing that's going to happen for those who deny the Son. There is a judgment that's coming upon those who deny the Son, who deny God's act of uh, of sacrifice to secure the salvation for anyone who would come to Him. And so God is still judging. But why we don't see that the judgment of the Lord so heavily in the New Testament is because we see it through the, through the blood of Jesus Christ. We see the judgment of God through the blood of His own Son. God became a man because He loved you. The same God of the Old Testament, He loved mankind, you and I, so much that He became a man Himself. And And he took our sins upon his own shoulders. And he judged his son so that you and I will not be judged. That's what it says here in verse 21, the last verse of this chapter. For God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. It's starting to make a little bit of sense. The God of the New Testament is still going to judge sin. He's still going to judge those who deny Him. He's still going to judge those who turn away from Him. The thing is, and the, the happy news, man, the good news, the glorious gospel news, is that God became a man and He died on a cross for you and I. And the judgment that is intended for you and I was placed upon the shoulders of his own son and he endured the cross for you and I. We don't have to endure the judgment of the Lord because God did it for us through his son Jesus Christ. That's good news, gang. That's great news. Father, Lord, I meant to get through so much more of this today, but Lord, what... What a lesson, what an understanding of the gospel, of our life, of the perspective that we can and should have on a day-by-day basis as believers here on this earth today. That we see here in this fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians. Lord, the truth that we see. I, I pray, Lord, that Today, I, I've been able to, and you've been able to use me to clear up some things in, in our hearts and our minds about who it is that we are and what it is that we're to be doing and why it is that we're to be doing them. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to recognize that we are the most blessed people, those who have a relationship with you, and understand the cost that was involved to secure that relationship with you. We're blessed. God, we are 
We're humbled that you loved us that much. There's nothing special, more special about us than, than the people in the Old Testament. God, you've loved mankind from day one. And you will love mankind throughout eternity. God, for those of us in this room that have recognized who you are and why you were hanging on a cross, why you rose again three days later, we're humbled and we're grateful and we're thankful. For those that don't know that, I pray, Lord, that they would open their heart to you right now. That maybe something has made sense to them in this message. That reveals to them that, God, yes, you are the same judging God. You judge sin. You cannot bear to have sin within heaven. If you have, no, if you have sin in heaven, you're no longer God. You're no longer pure. You're no longer holy or righteous. But you've satisfied all those demands, all those requirements by placing the sin upon the shoulders of your own son, of all mankind, of me, of anyone listening. To pay the penalty that was due us, the penalty that was due me. And Lord, I've recognized that. And I realize that. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody listening that does not have a relationship with you, and I pray that this has made sense to them today about that, that they would recognize that, Jesus, you died on a cross for them. You rose again three days later, defeating death, because they couldn't, nobody else can, but you did. And it was the proof that, God, you received the sacrifice of Jesus on behalf of all that would call upon Jesus Christ for salvation. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody listening to this that wants a relationship, they would just simply open their heart to you and ask you, God, to forgive their sin. Ask you, Lord, to come into their heart. Tell you, Lord, that they believe in Jesus. And in the cross and in the resurrection and in the life eternal that he will and has been living and will continue to live throughout eternity standing in the gap for us, for me personally. Thank you, God, for being such a good God and such a big God and a vast God and yet being such a personal God that you know my name and that you love me. In spite of my sin, you love me the same and that you wanted to provide a way for me to enter into heaven. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I receive your Holy Spirit as a seal of my guarantee of the promise that one day I will be in heaven with you. Show me how to live for you. Teach me. Guide me. Lead me on this day and throughout the rest of my life, Lord. Thank you for your love for me the salvation that you've given to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? 
or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.